0: Hey, everybody, we're in a teaching series on relationships called It's Not You, It's Me. And our prayer is that wherever you are, as you listen to this, that God would use this teaching as a tool to grow you and strengthen you in your relationships. Thanks for listening and subscribing. Thanks for commenting. Hey, share this message with some friends. It makes a big difference. At Soma, we want everybody to know God so they can find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. We hope this collection of talks draws you to Jesus and inspires you. Enjoy the message. If you're just joining us, we've been in a series on relationships. Week one, we talked communication. Week two, we talked sex. Last, t- last week, we talked serving one another. And uh, this week, a different angle. Same passage, kind of our key text or our, our kind of our theme verse. Jesus gives some of the best relationship advice ever in Matthew 7, where he says, hey, focus on you before you try and help others, before you're positioned to really worry about what other people have going on. If you want healthier relationships, why don't you start with a healthy you? Look at Matthew 7 in verse 3 through 5. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, sister's eye, spouse's eye, friend's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when the whole time there's a plank? You got a big old plank in your eye. You're hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Sometimes we're acutely aware of um, other people's faults, what they have said, done, other people's brokenness, other people's sins, other people's issues, but we dismiss our own. And your relationships, all of your relationships will get better when you realize that before you help somebody else with their speck of sawdust, men remove the plank from your eye. And relationships are so important because everything in your life that is attached to joy, fulfillment, any, any moment that is meaningful has people attached to it. So, I mean, you think of like the most meaningful moments in your life right now and then remove other people. It's so lame, right? It's just like, it's so any, any achievements, uh, you know, you get the degree, and there's nobody there to celebrate with you. It's just kind of like, won't, won't. Like if you score the touchdown and nobody's there to celebrate with you. If, you. if you get married, nobody shows up to the party. You got a birthday. woo! But it's by, you're by yourself. Like It's just real sad. And so everything awesome in life by way of relationship. And it's so important in the Bible. Jesus decides, he says, hey, if I could consolidate all of the law into one command, this would be the command. Love each other like I've loved you. And this is what it says in John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as i have loved you he consolidates all of the law into relationships hey if you have a relationship in me if you're rooted if you abide in me if you really love me you'll love one another and uh and then all these new testament imperatives um Really centered around relationships and one an- how to one another, one another. And so this is uh, Galatians 5.14. For the entire law, Paul says, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 12.10. Be devoted to one another. 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Therefore, encourage one another. 1 Peter 4.9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I like that part. I love that he adds that part. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, offer hospitality. He knows we're going to complain about it. He's like, without grumbling. And then uh, Ephesians 5, 21, it's for all my married people. This is for, for, for all my married people. Submit to one another. Hello. Uh, Hebrews 13.1, he says, keep on loving one another. Because he knows you're going to get tired of doing it. He knows you lack endurance. He's like, you just got to keep going. You got to keep loving. John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, Jesus says. And this is a conditional phrase. If you... Love one another. So how do, how do people know if you're following Jesus? If you love people. If you love one another. And, uh, and so everyone will know you're a follower of Jesus in the way that you treat other people. And the problem is most of us with our relationships isn't that we don't desire to be better. Isn't that you don't desire to be a better wife or a better husband or a better friend or a better kid or a better parent or, what, you know, whatever. It's not that you don't desire to be better. It's, it's, it has more to do with how you view yourself and how you view the people around you. It's what you think about yourself and what you think about the people around you, what you've believed because of what you think about yourself and the people around you, determines how you act, how you talk, how you engage the people around you. It's all centered on faith everything by way of faith and so do you believe what God's word has to say about you and God's promises over your life God's faith-filled promises about who you are or do we buy lies especially as, as it as it's attached to relationships So here's some lies that we buy uh, we say things like if someone really knew me man they wouldn't want to be with me I've got to pretend I've got to pose i got to fool somebody because if they know the real me, they ain't buying it. So, and, and after everything I've done, I'll never have a good marriage. We say things like this. I'm so screwed up. What does it matter? I'm just going to live however I want to live. What I do now won't affect my relationships later. Ooh. Or, or what, what my decisions now won't affect my future marriage. As if you could separate or parse those things. Every, we say things like, man, everybody looks. Everybody flirts. Everybody, you know, everybody does that. It's not a big deal. My relationships with my kids, beyond repair, no matter what I do, it's just never going to work. We say things like, I came from a broken family. More than likely, I'm going to have a broken family. It's just a generational thing. Or, I married the wrong person. Divorce is my only option. People say these things. And so when it comes to dating or relationships or marriage, what do you say about yourself, about the people that are closest to you? family, friends, loved ones? What do you say? How do you view them? And because at any given time, you and I are either listening to, hey, here's what God says about you and the you next to you, or the reality is a lot of times we're just listening and buying the lie, the lie of what the enemy has to say about the people who are closest to us. Here's what Jesus says about those lies. He says this in John eight forty four. 44. He says, the devil was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth. There was no truth in him. What does he do? He only lies. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. And Jesus said of himself just a few verses earlier, he said this, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free so today to wrap up our series we want to expose some lies that you may have bought into about your own relationships Um, and these are not exhaustive like I'm only just going to give you a few there's sadly there's a lot more that we buy into but these are some things that we think about a lot of times the people that are closest to us and I'm going to say these attach these these will work with any relationship but I want to take um, specifically the angle of romantic relationships and even more specifically marriage if you'll think in light of that but here's the first one. The first lie that we buy is I can change him or her. I can, cha- I can change them. I can do it. I know their life is, is a dumpster fire. I know that they're, you know, poison. I know, like, but they're, they're so cute. You know what I mean? Like, and so, but I can change them. I can work on them. Kind of a missional dating mindset, right? And so um, how many of you have been married 10 years? You've been married 10 years. How many of you have been married 25 years? How many of you have been married 40 years? Come on. How, who's been anybody been married 50 years? Woo! Almost. Yeah, y'all give it up for the married people in the room. Okay. All my people who've been married for a long time. Can you change your spouse? No, you can't change your spouse. Write that down. You can't change, you can't change people. Um and, and I had a good conversation with my friend. Uh, eddie out in the courtyard after last service and we were just talking about how your faith can inspire people you know paul says follow me as i follow christ and it's not that your affection for jesus can't trans- have a transforming effect on people but it's primarily god's work in people's lives it's literally the, the holy spirit transforming people from the inside out you can have behavior modification which is where a lot of us live so I'm gonna be this to this person, and I'm gonna act like this to this person, and I'm gonna act like this to this person. It's exhausting. You got like multiple personality. You got like seven people that you got to be to everybody in your life, and um, and so I'm gonna say and do what they they want me to do if they'll just shut up about it. Like I just so out of a place of passivity, the thought is, man, if I could just keep them happy, if I could just keep the peace, right? I don't really want to deal or reckon with the stuff that's in my soul. I just want to just exist. I just want to get by. Uh, but you can't change people; only God can change people. And so uh, we know this. Like for, in dating season, all my single people raise your hand. Single people, we in the room? Okay, cool. So uh, and we're, in, we're take inventory. Okay, so so we're we're in, we're in dating season of life. And when you're in dating season of life, a lot of times opposites attract. And then as opposites attract, you get married. Opposites attack. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, the things that you used to think, you were like, that was so cute when they did that back in the day. It's so cute. I love it. It's so great. And then it's like you get married and you're like, I hate them. Like, I, you know, and so, like, it's stuff that, for example, like, you're like, man, he was just so chill. We were dating. Oh, so chill. Oh man, he's just going with the flow, real flex, Mr. Flexible. And then you get married and you're like, he is just never picks up after himself. He's just a slob. It's like he's been a slob the whole time. You just, and so, and, or, hey, you know what? When, when we were dating, she was just strong. She's confident. You get married, you're like, she's nagging. She's controlling. You know, it's funny. The things you found attractive in one season is in perspective. You got, you got issues with it in a different one. And so the thought is, I can change them. I can change this bad habit. I can work on it. I I can deal with them. Um, And it's not that you can't have conversations. I'm not suggesting that you don't have conversations, hear me, about the things that you need to have conversations about. I'm just saying at some point, you're like, I'm tired of complaining about it. I'm tired of criticizing. I'm tired of crying about it. I'm tired of like, there's nothing that you can do to change them from the inside out that has to happen, like, that's God's work, is to transform their heart, and so uh, the reason it's not working for you is because you weren't meant to change the people in your life that are closest to you, and you're not going to complain your way into transformation in somebody's life. You're not going to criticize your way into transformation in somebody's life. There's no amount of crying that's good, like, none of that is going to work, but what will work is prayer, and so um, there's a couple angles on prayer. One, we can pray for God to change them. So pray for God to change the people in our life that are closest to us. And this, again, this might be a parent or a sibling or a friend or spouse or whatever. But if there's something that's out of line, hurtful in that relationship, pray that God would change their heart. Ask him to do a work because prayer is incredibly powerful. Why do we know this? Because the Bible tells us this. James five sixteen the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I love the way it says it, the prayer of a righteous person was a righteous person. It's not a perfect person. It's somebody who desires the will of God for their life. It's somebody who's in alignment with God's desire for themselves. It's someone who's surrendered. And, uh, and so you want what God wants for you and you desire more of that. And, and this is what it means. And it says it's powerful and effective. Your prayers become potent. Your prayers become powerful whenever you're right before God. And uh, and the way that we get right before God is by way of Jesus. We're completely surrendered. We're in relationship with Him. He begins to reveal some inconsistencies, some things in our lives that are just not God's best for us. And He's not mad at you. He's just doing work, and so He's, he's helping you to find freedom. And so, but but we begin to have powerful and effective prayers. And some of you, your prayer life is hindered because of unforgiveness. Your prayer life is hindered because you lack righteousness. Your prayer life is hindered because you're not right before God. And you just, you'll say one thing, you'll do a different thing. And again, back to behavior modification in religion, like it's not working. So you're frustrated with your prayer life. Why is he not listening? Well, he's been telling you for like three years to deal with this thing. And he's like, hey, would you please be obedient in this area before we talk about anything else? Just do the thing I'm asking you to do. And then watch what happens to your prayer life. It begins to open up. But we pray for the people, and it, and it does something to us. I love what my wife. Uh, one of her things is uh, Brooke's things is prayer. She loves prayer. She's passionate about prayer, and uh, and has always been this way. And a few years ago, I noticed that the intensity of Brooke's prayers increased in direct proportion to the pain that I was causing in our relationship. So you know, the more frustrated she was with the relationship, the more she was praying. And I was like, she's drawing close to God. The whole time she's interceding for me to draw close to God. And it worked. And so, like, it, it's wild. But she literally is like, her, her prayers, again, from a righteous person, someone whose heart is surrendered before God, is powerful, is effective. And so uh, some of you, you've been praying for a relationship for a long time. Could be a family member could be a close friend, somebody, you, you've been interceding, you've been praying, it feels like forever. And the thought is, man, I've tried to do everything I can, including getting right before God. But just to encourage for those of you that are out there and you're like, I've been praying for my spouse and I've been praying for this loved one. I've been praying for my kids and I've been praying. There's this great passage in Luke 18 where it's this persistent widow, you can go and read it in your own time, who just keeps coming back, keeps praying, continues to trust continues to pursue continues to have faith that God can do in the seemingly impossible things because that's that's what our God does he's in the business of of the miraculous and i think for us as a church family i would love to just normalize the miraculous i just think that would be so cool that like our culture would just be so set apart like our faith would be so strong in god that just like miraculous things are just normal It's just like yeah that's right that person we we prayed for him and then like so this is what God does and and it doesn't matter if it happens in your timing or if it happens right away and I don't understand and I don't think any of us will this side of eternity why some prayers are answered the way that their pray- prayers are answered when they're answered how they're answered but here's what's so cool as you're praying for people in your life friends relationships it has a transforming effect on you So sometimes the waiting isn't about the other person. Sometimes the waiting is about you and who you're becoming in Christ as you're waiting, as you're praying, you're being transformed into his image. And so I want to remind everybody who's married in the room, marriage is a marathon. Hello. Can I get an amen from any of the the married people in the room? Okay, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's the reason why it's called a covenant, not a convenient. You know what I'm saying? Like Like it's a promise. Like we're in this thing, and sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's like we're at Disney World and it's magical and we're on our honeymoon or, you know, a kid was born or like highs, but it's also lows. Like sometimes it's hard and it's a grind and it's like, oh, you know, like, but but like that's what covenant is. It is a promise that we make before God to one another. This covenant of marriage is like, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you through hard things. And this is literally what we say in front of each other. We just forget sometimes. And what is it? It's exemplary of the covenant that we have uh, with God by way of Christ. That God looks at our situation and says, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're like, I don't deserve it. He's like, I know. And I'm with you, right? And so uh, pray for people, and then God begins to transform, do a transforming work, change their heart. Prayer may, may not immediately change the other person, but it always changes you. And so Uh, Pray for other people, but also pray for God to change you. Shift your perspective. If you want a better relationship, start by making a better you. That's how you make a healthy relationship. You get healthy. If you try and build intimacy with another person before you've gotten healthy, before you've gotten whole yourself, all of your relationships in life become an attempt to complete yourself. All of them. Your, your best friends, you're let down. You're dating and you're let down. Oh man, you know, all of the relationships, there's this relationship gap, and the only thing that will ever fill, ever sustain, ever make you whole, ever heal is a real relationship with God by way of Jesus. That's it. Because people will leave you, and people will let you down, and people will pass away, and people like all these things won't sustain you. The only thing that will sustain you is a relationship with Jesus. And you have to start by focusing on yourself, man, I got to get healthy. I got to get right before God. This is Psalm 139. Such a great prayer. If you want to pray anything, pray this prayer. It says this in verse 24, search me God and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive, any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I love this because the psalmist says, hey, search my heart and know me. So don't, don't just know what I did, but why I did it. And a lot of us are focused on what we're doing or not doing. Well, I didn't say anything. Well, I didn't go there. Well, I didn't watch that. Well, I didn't, I didn't do the thing. I didn't whatever. And, and I, you know, I didn't, I didn't commit adultery. And yet Jesus comes along and he says, hey, if you've lusted after somebody in your heart, you've already committed adultery high bar. So it's like, it's like, Hey, it's not so much about the action. It's about what's on the inside because what's on the inside ends up coming out. And so he says, let's get healthy. Let's deal with, let's deal with our anxious thoughts, our fear, our anxieties. Let's, let's deal with what's been hidden and let's, let's, let's do heart surgery. And so when you, when you start to pray, What you're going to find, if you pray a prayer like Psalm 139 and you ask God to really reveal to you the areas of your life that need work, again, it's a scary prayer because the thought is, depending on your church background and your experience in a space like this, the thought is, man, somebody's going to condemn me. Somebody's going to judge me. No. And and if you feel shame and guilt, that's not of God. Like if you feel a proper level of conviction, like if you feel like, man, I need to adjust sales here. I need to repent in this area. That's God's mercy on your life. That he would address what needs to be addressed, not because he's mad at you, but because he wants more for you. And so God, God may change your attitude. He may change your approach. God might start to build your confidence so that you don't tolerate abusive behavior. You create some healthy boundaries. Maybe you're less controlling or you're less critical, or maybe God heals a hurt. Or maybe God gives you over to a place of forgiveness. You forgive someone that you thought, I would never be able to forgive that person. And then God will give you proper perspective one day. You, you experience a level of maturity in Christ that you just, you're elevated to a place that you can finally see them the way that God sees them. And not through the wound or through the hurt or through the thing that happened or was said or was done to you. But just who God says they are. And that only happens through prayer. I in my flesh am not naturally that. You're not either. And, and God begins, he begins to give us a transforming effect as we pray and we realize, man, I can't change them, but God can. Here's the second one. A second lie is that a good relationship is 50-50. You bring your part, I bring my part. Right? And also, I'm going to keep score. Okay? So if you don't do your job, I'm not doing my job. And, and uh, you know, we're in a contract. We've got a contract, and we're going to decide up front who's doing what. If you're not keeping your end of the bargain, I'm done. I'm done with you. It's funny. When we, we meet with couples for premarital, one of my favorite things to do is talk down um, all of the expectations that they bring into the relationship because of their context, so because of the way that they were raised in the home. So. Here's how we parented, and here's what discipline looked like, and here's what um, the responsibilities looked like in the home. And somebody had outside chores, and somebody had inside chores. And, 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 you know, dad was like, hey, I ain't doing that. I ain't cooking or whatever. And, you know, you got the kids or whatever. And, and you know, some women are like, hey, I don't pump gas. You know what I mean? My dad is that dad. I don't pump gas. At. I don't even know how to pump gas. You know what I mean? And so, uh, and so and some of you all know those people. So, so, but the idea is, like, the, I do my thing. You do your thing. And if you don't meet, you know, my expectations, then I'm out. And so, but this is not what God wants for us. When it comes to friends and coworkers and parents and kids, dating relationships, the world has programmed us to believe that all relationships are transactional. And we make people a means to an end, except Jesus never made people a means to an end. For Jesus, people was the point. People was the end. So much so that he gives his life over for you and for me. Even people who don't believe in him, even people that don't ascribe, even people who were denying who he was or betraying who he was, or people who put him on the cross—like he is literally, he is literally dying for them in that moment. And what he encourages me and you to do—we talked about this last week—is to lay our life down in service to one another and to not keep score. As a matter of fact, you're most like Christ when you're not keeping score. Here's what. I'm going to speak to marriages in the room. This is Ephesians 5, okay? So Ephesians 5 says this, verse 22 through 25. Wives, submit yourselves. Hold up now. Hold up. Hold up to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which... He is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And all the men in the room are like, yeah, pastor, preach that. You know what I mean? And then, but hold up. There's another one. There's another verse. There's another verse. Husbands, hello. Love your wives. You're like, all right, cool. I got that. I got that. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, which is Die. That's what that means, okay? So if, that's my paraphrasing. And so it's like, it's mutual submission. It's not one way. It is a mutual submission. It looks different. Like, and, and, so, like, and I know it's mutual submission because literally a verse before, here's what Paul says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this is how Jesus loves the church. And this is how we're called to love our spouse. Again, the whole idea is let me lay my life down in service for you. Let me outserve you. And some of you think that's unfair because I am definitely out-serving my spouse right now. You know what I mean? wrong approach, right? And when you get to the place that you're taking inventory and you're keeping score, you've already, you've already met, you're already off. That's how you know you're off is if you're keeping score. And if you're not keeping score and you're just trying to love and serve your spouse, watch what happens when your motivation and your heart in service is aligned with God's will for your life. It begins to have a transforming effect on the other person. And so it's, it's, I mean, literally he gives us, he gives us the answer. And so This is one of the greatest areas for potential growth in our relationships because some of us right now, um, you wouldn't say we're 50, 50, but you also, you're literally, uh, just doing whatever you got to do to kind of get by. And it feels that way. You both feel it. You both feel like we're just literally trying to do everything that we can to get by. And, um, and God wants more for us. And so instead of, instead of, you know, holding things over one another's head, instead of attaching strings to things, instead of saying, hey, I'm only going to do my part if you do your part, what if we outserved one another? Two questions for you. What would happen if you and I laid our lives down for the people that we were closest to? So if you are married, great. If, if it's your parents, if it's your closest friends, whatever. What would happen if you went 100% in instead of 50%? It would change the game. Better question. What happens if you don't? And we all know the answer. It's not working. And so uh, the devil's a liar. The truth will set you free. And the devil will tell you that you can change them. But only God can change somebody. And then the devil goes on to tell us, hey, marriage is this transactional thing. If they're not keeping their end of the bargain, if they're not doing their thing, if they're not keeping their end of this relationship, you know what I mean? You, gotta, you just write them off. Just be done with it. Like, stop dealing with them. And there's also this little lie that we buy into that says this one little thing isn't a big thing. And, and so this one little secret, this one little sin, this one little thing nobody knows about, this part of your story that nobody really knows anything about, um, how I'm dealing, how I'm coping, and, and nobody knows, and, and the enemy will tell you it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And, uh, and you know, spending time doing ministry, just doing life with people. It is never like the big thing that we always think that breaks up a marriage or breaks up a family. It's always the little thing that grew into a big thing. It's always the little thing that started in the dark, started as a secret, started in a hidden place. And the thought was, man, I can never tell anybody that. And then it just grew and festered and, and, and blew up a thing. Why? Because we never dealt properly with uh, sin in its infancy. And so... Those unconfessed little sins become complicated, big sins. And uh, there's a powerful verse in the Old Testament, and it's it's based on this love story between Solomon, King Solomon, and the Shulamite woman. I referenced it a couple weeks ago, but it's the Song of Solomon, it's the Song of Songs, and it's this love poem between these two. And it says this, um, Solomon says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. Now, let me a good metaphor. And what he's saying is, hey, our relationship is in bloom. Everything is healthy. But there's somebody in the vineyard. There's someone that's come to destroy what's happening. And it's just little foxes. It's just these little offenses. It's these little things that, man, if we don't take care of business, they're going to come and rob us of the fruit. They're going to come and, uh, man, destroy the root system. And what's this little unconfessed sin? These secret sins. The uncontrolled desires, the lustful thoughts that you think are not a big deal, or you begin to defend and then just take root, and now you can't control them. And, and so dealing with them quickly, uh, you know, it's, it's watching something that you're looking at, and you, and you know it doesn't honor your spouse, it doesn't honor, uh, it definitely doesn't honor God. And, it, and it's just like, but it just takes a hold of you. It's the secret spending. It's the secret addictions that little by little rob you of the fruit and the blessing that God has for us in relationships. But it always starts with like a small thing. And what fear does, what the enemy does, his tactic is fear. He's like, hey, if you tell anybody, man, it'll ruin that relationship. It'll ruin your marriage. It'll ruin the relationship with your kids. It'll ru- ruin the relationship with your parents. It'll ruin, you fill in the blank. Except what I've learned is for those who are in Christ, again, because this is the gospel, for people who love me and who love Jesus, when I'm struggling with something like this historically, anytime I've ever brought little things to people like this that I was just afraid of and, and I was honest enough, open enough, vulnerable enough, grace was always on the other end. Freedom was always on the other end. And by the way, joy was always on the other end. I'm no longer hiding. I'm no longer dealing with this secretly. Now it's out in the open. Now I'm freed from it. I own it, right? And so the enemy would love to keep you in a place where you're dealing with things secretly. There's people in your life who love you and who love Jesus, and you just need to be more open and vulnerable too. You're human. The thought is, man, nobody's struggling with this. Everybody in this room, look around at this room. Every single person in this room is struggling with something. We're all in a different place in our maturity in Christ. Some are further along than others. And guess what? The more mature you become in Christ, the more humbled you are. And the more you realize how dependent you are on God. And the more compassionate you are towards people who are struggling. Why? Because this is the Savior we serve. And so, man, just be open and vulnerable. James 5.16, it puts it this way. It says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. And so the thought is, man, I'm just going to manage my sin. I don't need anybody else to to know what I got going on. I'm just going to manage it. You don't manage sin. You confess sin. And that's how you manage it. (laughs) That's how you deal. And, And then a key ingredient in this whole thing, again, is prayer. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. So confession frees you up. Hey, I'm fully known. Guess what? On the other side of that is God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's mercy. And you and I are supposed to be conduits of that. So for those of you that have relationships, if somebody comes to you and in real vulnerability, like there's a generosity attached to this moment. I trust you so much with my life. I've never told anybody this. I'm going to tell you this. On the receiving end, man, prayerfully just ask God, hey, give me the grace and the strength to receive whatever it is, even if it's hard, because they're coming to confess me because they love me and because they don't want to continue to hurt, and they don't want to continue to struggle. And for all the marriages in the room, your job is helping one another grow in Christ-likeness. That's the whole point of marriage, if nobody's ever told you. It is not the American dream. It's not to hit 50. It's not to go on vacation together. It's not, none of those things are bad. It's just that's not the job. The job is, my job is to help Brooke become more like Jesus so that one day when she stands in front of him, Like I had a part to play in who she became in Christ and vice versa. And the only way we get there is to love one another well enough to be willing to go through hard things, not just good things, but hard things. And so when someone loves you enough to open up and ask for help, that's one of the best expressions of love, even if the confession first hurts. But we got to be willing to do the hard business instead of just instead of just sweeping things under the rug. Like the Holy Spirit will give you a check in your spirit. And the Holy Spirit's probably already told you while I'm talking about this. And I'm not looking at any of you in your eyeballs. So I know some of you are trying not to make eye contact. I'm not looking at any one person. I'm just doing like this, okay? So if you feel convicted, it's just God working through his word to to point to an area of your life that you need growth in, not because he's mad at you, not because he wants to condemn you, but because you, you feel like a slave to that thing. And he's like, let me help you. Let me help you. And, but we buy the lie. Hey, nobody can know. <laughs> and everybody's struggling. Everybody's walking around wounded, but we got to begin to deal rightly with, with what, um, what God asks us to deal with because it drives a wedge between you and the people that you love when we operate this way. Here's the last line. I'm going I'm to wrap up with this. We begin to look at certain relationships and we say, man, there's no hope for this relationship. And it could be a parent that uh, left you when you were a kid. And it could be hard things that happened to you, family members, friends, whatever. It could be an ex-spouse. It could be a marriage that just feels broken and beyond repair. It could be a wayward kid that just hadn't talked to you in seven years. It could be like any number of things. But we begin to, to buy this lie that it's over. Yeah, we serve a God of resurrection, and so it only puts His glory on display even more so when we look at hard things like that, and we say, "God can do anything." I'm not gonna stop praying. I'm not gonna stop believing. I'm not gonna stop showing up and doing my part. I I can't. Reconciliation takes two people. Oh, but forgiveness can be one can be one way. We know this because Christ modeled it. Way before you ever accepted it, he forgave you. And so this is what he's asking us to do is take inventory of our relationships. What are the things that we've just, people that we've written off and we say, it's just too hard. They hurt me. And and by the way, hurt people hurt people. So if you were hurt, someone said something, did something. It's coming from a place of fear, insecurity, some place of pain in their own life, some place of suffering in their own life. That's, that's how that happened. And so just take a moment and acknowledge uh, the fact that in this room, all these people in this room, I'm, I'm aware, because I know it's easier to talk about, it's, it's harder to live, but I'm aware of the pain and the brokenness that so many people are experiencing right now. And some of you are married to an addict and it's incredibly painful and complicated. And some of you have been betrayed over and over again. And there's those of you that have suffered abuse. And here's what I know about the lies of the enemy. It's actually easier to believe a lie if it has some element of truth in it. And this is a massive tactic of the enemy. This is literally what he does with Jesus in the desert before he fasts, as he's fasting and praying before he steps into public ministry. He had the audacity to quote scripture to Jesus. He does the same thing in the garden. Hey, did God really say this? Hey, look at this person in your life. There's no way, man. You need to give up. You need to quit. You need to write them off. And there's some people in your life, you might be the only one that ever takes the time to be Jesus to those people. They're that hurt, they're that damaged. And I know it's hard. Again, you're not doing it in your own strength. You're asking God to give you the power to do it by his spirit. That's the only way to do it. That's the only way. And so when you feel discouraged, like this relationship's really bad, and I don't think we could ever heal, the reason might be because there's a little bit of truth to that. There's a, little bit, there's a lot of pain, a lot of betrayal, and the odds may be stacked against you. Um, but I love our Lord. This is what Jesus, when he is literally, he's been denied, betrayed, beaten, Nails through his wrist and his feet. He's on a cross. They hoist him up. And here's what he says in Luke 30, uh, 23, 34. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And there's so many of us in this room that need to forgive somebody. Some of you, your application, and I'm not telling you to do it. Again, God's telling you to do it. Hey, you got to call them. Hey, you gotta meet with them. Hey, you gotta share Christ or be Christ to them. Hey, you gotta give them another chance. Hey, you gotta lean back in. And I'm not suggesting that you're a doormat, and I'm not suggesting that you're not wise or discerning. I'm just suggesting, again, that you preach a great message with your life. Why? Because you and I have been on the receiving end of grace, and the more that we take inventory of that, there's a reason why all that starts with prayer, all that starts with a personal relationship with God. Because the more you realize how much you've received from God, the more you're willing to, to be a conduit of God's grace to other people. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4. Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, as in Christ, God forgave you. And so it's such a big deal because you and I have been forgiven. And Jesus is, I mean, Jesus is on the cross thinking about your your contribution, my contribution to this moment. And he says, they don't know what they're doing. And so I think it's important for us to not buy the lie of the enemy. That that relationship's too far gone. That there's no way to serve them moving forward. It might not be, ever be reconciliation. It might just be forgiveness. But there is a place for you to just take the message and the hope of Christ to the people, especially the people. That's the reason why Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What? Why? Because... That's how good the gospel is. That's how good God's grace is. That's how much he loves you and me. And he desires to transform us and change us from the inside out. But we got to first take inventory. Okay, the people that are closest to me in my life, those relationships. And what lies am I buying about the people who are closest to me? What truth do I speak over the people who are closest to me? What promises of God do I download about myself and the people who are closest to me? Because what you'll notice is the things that come out of you, the conversations you have, the things that you do, the hard things. Like all of that comes from an internal place. You got to get right here. And the only way to do that is just to discover, okay, am I listening? Who am I listening to about these people in my life? And what does God, you have to know what God's word says about these people. You have to spend time there. But I believe as we pray, God will reveal to us something. I think you're on faith. I believe that God already has today given you actionable items, giving you application for what he said in his word. I know he has. And so what are we going to do with it? Do we just listen to a message and we're like, amen, preach, that was good. And then Tuesday, just kind of go back to normal. It's like do nothing with it. Or here's where God's word really comes alive, where you take his word and then you apply it to your life. And it comes alive in a way that it never will if you just listen and do nothing with it. And then watch what watch what God does in and through us in our relationships as we listen to the truth of who Jesus. Is.